constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us, and you can follow live tweeting of the show at hashtag BigBeaconRadio. Our first segment is sponsored by the book that is transforming higher education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today we're fortunate to uh, be joined by uh, a couple of guests from uh, uh, VentureWell in uh, Hadley, Massachusetts. Uh, in the first segment, we have uh, CEO of that organization, Phil Weilerstein, with us. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. Uh, Phil, You've uh, early, we're going to talk about your organization and some of its programs in a moment, but we like to get to know our guests on the show, and, and you've been an entrepreneur uh, uh, back in the day uh, and uh, leader of a nonprofit to spur innovation and entrepreneurship, but let's uh, go back in the time machine. What were some of the key early influences that uh, put you on your current path? Well, thinking back on on how I came to be in this in this role here and what motivated me to pursue this kind of uh, career journey, um, I think it really started very early on in my life as a uh, kid. Had the opportunity to form a couple of businesses and do all sorts of different kinds of things. You know, those typical things that kids do, starting with a uh, newspaper route, and then a, a uh, business doing you know odd jobs and lawn care, which sort of expanded out. And by the time that uh, I was in high school, was running a business with a couple of friends, doing all sorts of different kinds of uh, home services, kinds of uh, delivery and repair and maintenance and so forth. And uh, didn't particularly like the work, but I really enjoyed the freedom and the opportunity to learn that it created. And that, that sort of connects with the other part of this that really resonates for me and what, what I do here and really is kind of at the core of our approach and philosophy at VentureWell, which is that uh, you learn by doing. And, and I've had the real kind of ex- opportunity to explore experiential pathways throughout my education. Um, and as I grew in my role as an entrepreneur and in some of the, the early experience I had in, in forming a technology company, uh, that really was reinforced. And I, I realized that uh, much of what was needed to do the kind of entrepreneurial venture creation that uh, I found to be my career calling was very yes. hard to learn about without having some prior exposure or an opportunity to do it. So. Very much what we do here is providing an opportunity for people to learn what I wish I had had the opportunity to learn while I was in school. Um, and really what I'm focused on here is is trying to create navigable pathways for both students and for faculty to create 
opportunities for invention, for innovation, and for people to get in touch with, explore, and really develop their capability to create change in the world through scientific and technological innovation. Actually, I'm still stuck in your in the paper route part of the story because I was thinking back to uh, back in the '60s, uh, delivering the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press. The Free Press, I had to get up at five in the morning um, to deliver that 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 paper in the snow and so forth in Michigan. And and I hadn't thought about that in a long time. The the extent to which those kinds of early experiences may or may not be available to 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 young people today but I kind of got kind of got I got I, I was listening to the rest of what you were saying but I sort of you, you took me back in the time machine a, a little bit myself there yeah and I, I think that's actually part of what perhaps is is uh, missing not only from you know higher education but in earlier exposure both educational formal exposure and even in the way that uh, you know kids these days sort of experience their life a lot more in your life is structured for you and uh, I was fortunate to be coming up at a time when um, I was able to, you know, be allowed, I guess you could say, to go off and run around the neighborhood and collect money from strangers at their door and uh, learn the challenges of how you, you know, market something to somebody who may or may not be interested in what you're selling and how you follow up and collect yep. on a receivable and, you know, all sorts of things like that that, uh, you know, proved very valuable later on and certainly were not even in my consciousness as being things I was learning at the time, although it was a very rich learning experience. And well, I, I think, yeah, you know, bringing ahead. that into the current world, I hear from a lot of faculty that they have students who show up, for example, in their engineering classes, never having really taken anything apart or built anything. Yes. Um, so they're, they're often gifted and talented with respect to the quantitative and intellectual side of, of work, as an engineer, but not particularly experienced in the tactical hands-on kind of dive in and do it part. Well, and and you know we have that that that's a theme that gets repeated on the show fairly frequently. You know, we have people from from that era who who were, you know, they were car guys or. I I was that paper route fed a ham radio habit, so I was always um, headed down. I remember being on a bus just after the 67 riots going downtown to buy radio parts because um, the radio had to be fed and, and needed some capacitors or some some darn thing to be soldered into to something. But but to the extent to, that those hands-on and doing experiences have been virtualized or you do them, you do them in a structured way on a computer or on a, on a piece of software that someone's written for you and, and, and limits things is a, is a, is a, Kind of a severe restriction in many ways on the kind of education that uh, is easily obtained today. Well, I think that's that's true. There's a lot more that's a lot more packaged in you know for for a young person now than it was say when when we were kids. I think that um, there are also a lot more opportunities that yep. didn't exist. So there, there's always an offset there, and I think the the challenge is to make all of this sort of visible to people as a pathway that they can pursue. Um, one of the things that you know often is uh, very evident when you you talk to someone about the choices they've made in their life that they they do go back to what they're exposed to and to formative figures in their early life who kind of put them in touch with what they were capable of and and I think that the programming that we do and the the work that we 
sort of broadcast out there is intended not only to provide pathways, but also to, you know, make them look real and make them look like the people who could yep. pursue them and make it in that way much more accessible. Well, and and to and and to connect to that. Um, it, in the book, A Whole New Engineer, Mark Somerville and I talk about unleashing experiences. Maybe we've already heard those from you, but you just mentioned the people who were influences that, that kind of uh, allowed people to, to go their own way. To, who were your unleashing influences or what, um, you know, were there other unleashing experiences in your, uh, as you were growing up that kind of allowed you to um, have the courage to do the things, the unusual things that you now are called on to do. I, w- I would I would point to a couple of key figures in in my family. I think both my parents in very different ways. My dad was an electrical engineer, and he um, you know always encouraged us to tinker with stuff. We had full range of access to his shop in the basement, and you know he was often uh, he was building a, a Heathkit computer at one point, and we just kind of dove in and played with that. He'd take us along when he went to the university. Uh, he, was, he was doing some teaching at the time, and we got to play with the PDP-11 in the background. And, uh, you know, nobody thought that was something that we shouldn't be doing. And, um, you know, it was, was great to have that experience. I think the, the other, uh, you know, key influence, my grandparents were entrepreneurs, and um, they had a drugstore and were really kind of a a fixture in their community, um, both as, as a service and sort of a portal to medical care for, for a working class community in, in uh, downtown Philadelphia. And, and, you know, seeing them and the way that they use their sort of entrepreneurial skills to both create wealth and also to serve a community was, was really, I think, inspiring. When I think back on, you know, how I view entrepreneurship and why I think it's actually one of the ways that society can most effectively um, come together to create value. I think it's that inspiration that, that I turn to. And then, you know, in terms of, of uh, other inspirations, my, my mother was, was always uh, very focused on engaging us to reach our potential and, and enabling us to sort of break through the barriers that we might have set for ourselves. Uh, so I think between all that, I was very fortunate to have some great family members. And as I moved into the entrepreneurial world, uh, both sort of peer mentors, my colleagues that I worked with, and, and uh, my advisor when I was an uh, undergraduate, uh, who I later founded a company together with, uh, was really a key mentor and, and uh, role model for me. Beautiful. Yeah. So um, you're, uh, you're CEO and president of VentureWell, formerly uh, called... Um, the National Collegiate Inventors and Innovators Alliance. And um, so uh, can you tell a little bit about your organization uh, to those in our audience who are unfamiliar with it? Sure. We've been around for about 20 years. The organization began as an experiment funded by and really uh, created by the Lemelson Foundation. Uh, Jerry Lemelson, who is an independent inventor, very prolific a successful independent inventor of all sorts of different things, ranging from toys to magnetic technologies uh, to visual recognition systems. Uh, he and his family had uh, engaged in some early philanthropic activity on the way to creating uh, what is now a very um, well-known and, and uh, very successful foundation, the Lemelson Foundation. 
which yes. focuses on invention and entrepreneurship. This was one of the early forays. They had funded a uh, grant into exploring creativity on a college campus, which took place at Hampshire College. And when they visited the campus, Jerry and his, his wife, Dorothy Lemelson, saw that students had not only invented stuff, they had actually created products and were interested in taking those products forward. And, and some of them really were things that could benefit uh, a broader audience. And he looked at that and said, this is, this is what I want to see more of in higher education and uh, committed a, a significant philanthropic effort to make that happen. I joined the uh, nascent effort right at that point and uh, with support from the foundation and uh, the interest of a, at first, very small group of, of faculty who were very interested in pursuing invention and bringing it into higher education. We uh, put together a program that includes support for the creation of programs, the development of educational capacity in universities, engaging students in hands-on experiential approaches to learning to invent and to take those good inventions and identify where they may have a broader opportunity to impact society and through entrepreneurial processes, taking those forward to create businesses and scalable innovations that will um, you know, go on to make a difference in people's lives. So that's what we've been doing for the past 20 years. We uh, started out very small and have grown slowly over the past five or 10 years. We've started to expand more rapidly. We're now about a 50-person operation, and we work mostly in the U.S. with uh, growing programs outside the U.S. that focus both on engaging faculty in a community around innovation and entrepreneurship, providing support for the creation of programmatic offerings of yep. educational experiences, and in providing support for emerging innovators. And that has led to uh, lots of very successful uh, innovation outcomes in the form of companies and uh, hundreds and hundreds of courses around the country that offer tens of thousands of students the opportunity to engage in invention and innovation and where it's uh, worth taking forward to pursue their ideas to a commercial impact. Yeah. What's the, you've been doing this for a while. What would you say, and this is probably a tough question to pick one thing, but if you were to focus on one thing, what was the, what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned on, on this uh, journey uh, from the NCAA days to VentureWell? Well, I think um, it probably won't come as a surprise to you, Dave. The, the thing that surprised me the most coming from as I did uh, industry to mm -hmm. this kind of work was, was how slow universities are to change <laughs> and how challenging it can be to get change to stick. Um, the general tendency of universities is uh, to resist momentum. And uh, so one of the things we've gotten, I think, pretty good at is figuring out how you build momentum over time and how you spread that momentum to a broader and broader group of people so that you're able to not only make change stick, but also help it to spread. And um, we've had quite a bit of success with that over the years, but uh, I continue to be surprised um, at how easy it is for things to regress in higher education to what 
has previously been sort of the norm, and there's lots of reasons for that, ranging from the the sort of history and and traditions of higher education to the way accreditation is done to the way that reward systems are set up. So you really have to work at all of those different factors simultaneously, and the approach that we've taken to that is to do it in a collective way, to build communities of practice, to yep. engage people who are motivated change agents, and to help them push through the barriers, and then to help them engage others and sort of broaden that group of people making change happen. Yeah, was, uh, was it Peter Drucker who said that uh, um, culture eats strategy for lunch, and it just seems like um, the... Uh, the bully of of culture keeps uh, keeps eating the eat, eating taking our lunch money uh, and 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 undoing the changes that we we get into place and and it's a as you say it is a, um, a difficult problem. We've got just about a minute before we take a break. Uh, what else would you like our audience to know about you or your organization before we we do? Well, I think we'll come back to this a little bit, but I, I didn't want to uh, let the, the the segment here. And without uh, letting people know that the opportunity to engage with us is very open. Uh, we have programming that takes place year-round and uh, is open both for faculty. There are grants to support faculty, conferences, uh, and we also offer a grant program and a series of training programs for emerging student innovators, uh, particularly those focused on compelling science and technology-based innovation. So uh, we'll, we'll give a little more information later on yeah. how to engage, but uh, there, there are lots of ways to get involved with our community, and I hope that uh, those who are interested will follow up. Well, and we'll, and towards the end of the show, we'll make sure that people can have uh, coordinates so they can get in touch with you uh, more directly. But let's take a little break, and we'll, we'll come back and talk about some of your programs in uh, more detail. This is Big Beacon Radio with uh, special guest Phil Weilerstein from VentureWell. And stay with us uh, in the next segment. We're going to talk about um, some, of the, some of the efforts that they have to bring about change in higher education. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And the second segment is sponsored by Three Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation that'll help transform your school or organization at www.3joy.com. And before the break, working with uh, Phil Weilerstein of VentureWell, and and in this segment, he's joined by by Victoria Matthew, uh, VentureWell's senior program officer in charge of uh, faculty development. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Thank you, Dave. Glad to have you here, and and um, people can find out more about you on the uh, VentureWell uh, uh, staff page, but what one or two things should our audience members know about you before we jump in and get started? Sure. So I was actually just listening to your conversation with Phil, and, um, he, and you know, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about the things that really inspired me to do the work that I do today. Okay. And um, I think I'm not alone in the fact that um, there are just a, a couple of really fantastic teachers and um, faculty members in, um, at university that really um, helped me find my voice, helped me find my way, and made a huge impact on me. Um, I think so much so that um, this is the reason I've, I've really started to work, focus my work on teachers and faculty, um, because really those are the people that can impact thousands and thousands of students. Um, I know one of the exercises that I often do with, um, with new faculty that I would work with was have them actually reflect on a teacher that had inspired them. And it's yes. amazing how you see people's faces light up and how really that person often did inspire them to go ahead and do the work that they're doing. So, yeah, so it's really working through faculty that we can have a massive impact on the world. Yeah, so, uh, and is there, a, is there a particular individual that you'd like to call out or a particular experience that you've had that uh, where you, were, you felt unleashed and you want to give that gift back to other, others? Um, you know, it was actually fairly early on. I remember it was okay. in high school, and I, I went to school in the U.K., and um, it was my last two years of high school before I, I went on to university. And things really shift in the U.K. in your final two years. Um, you know, you narrow down on the subjects that you're doing, and the approach is definitely different. And it moves really away from, you know, the teacher being the sage on the stage to really being a partner in the learning. And I mm. remember um, one of my teachers, a sociology teacher, actually, um, Mr. Bragg, um, just helping me really find my voice and, um, and really, um, you know, say, explaining to the class that, you know what, right now you're in this small classroom and we're listening to you and we're all ears, but you go out to a large university, you have to make your mark, you have to make your voice heard. And I really took it to heart. And um, yeah, and after that, I had absolutely no problem holding court with anyone about any subject whatsoever, probably for better or worse sometimes. But um, yeah, so I, I definitely, he's, he's definitely somebody that's always been a, a huge inspiration to me. Yeah, nice, beautiful story. And, and so um, your bio says that that you're the um, 
you're in charge of faculty development at VentureWell. What, what's, what's that portfolio about? Sure. So I think Phil may have touched upon it a little bit earlier, but um, VentureWell has a long history of providing faculty grants um, to different faculty champions. And this, and over the last 20 years, that's had a huge impact on various university ecosystems um, with faculty starting new courses, new programs, and maker spaces, um, really making a, a significant difference on campuses. Um, also, Phil referenced um, our annual conference. Um, we host a conference every March. Um, called Open, and that's when we really bring together communities of faculty. So it's all of these change makers all, of the cro- all across the country um, that are, that are um, making change on their own campuses in their own way, and it's an opportunity for them to come together, share best practices and ideas. Um, it, it really is quite a remarkable experience. It's, it's unlike any other conference you're likely to attend. Um, it's, it's really quite inspiring, a great community of people. Um, more recently, yeah, I just think, let me uh, um, check we, in. Let me check in on that. So, in what ways is is open open different? <laughs> how, how is it? How's it? Uh, how's it special or or uh, different in the, its affect? I think I think in many ways it's really about it's about the individuals that come together, um, the faculty that are doing this work that are really um, integrating innovation and entrepreneurship on their campuses are passionate. They're champions. They're believers. Um, and so when they come together, it's almost like um, yeah, on their own campuses, they can often feel very isolated and alone and like the only person that's trying to make this change happen. And they come to the open conference and they find a whole host, hundreds of other individuals on different campuses that are doing this work. So it's almost like coming home. Um, I think also it just, um, because of that, because of this kind of collective identity, um, there's a warmth to it, there's a connection to it, and there's an openness. I think Mm. oftentimes you go to academic conferences and it can feel like um, everybody has to show that they're a little bit better than the other person, that their institution has it all figured out. And it it doesn't feel that way at Open, I've noticed. Um, People are very open to sharing not only what what works well, but also their failings in, in a very kind of entrepreneurial, fail fast kind of fashion. Um, so I think it's the openness. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that, that people do call out. It's, it's the network of faculty. It's the people that they meet. It's the richness of those, um, those collaborations. Phil, what would you like to add to this conversation right now? Well, so, um, to add no, on the um, open conference, you know, it, it has evolved over the history of the, the organization. We've been, been doing it every year, um, yep. and we've been able to develop a approach that's very um, integrative of sort of being what we want to see happen in higher education. So yes. the sessions are very hands-on. The activity is very engaged. People are expected to, to participate and to bring their ideas, and as, as Victoria said, their challenges as well. Um, and it winds up being an environment that uh, is very unusual in, in the sense that uh, you wind up connecting with a lot of people who you don't already know, um, rather than, you know, hanging with, with your friends, although there's lots of, you know, reunion and, and reconnection that people do, and being exposed to a lot of new ideas. I think that's the thing that makes it feel very worthwhile as we get a lot of feedback from people that, you know, I've taken away lists and lists of things that I'm going to go back and apply uh, as soon as I get back to, to my home institution. And that, that seems to make nice. it really kind of worthwhile. 
Yeah, and and so experiences like this can help bring about um, change, and and uh, a lot of the business that uh, VentureWell's in, that Big Beacon's in, that a lot of people are in now, is about bringing about these kinds of uh, these kinds of changes in higher ed. But from from your perspective, and let's start. We'll start with Phil and go to Victoria. What um, uh, what are the um, the kind? What kind? What kinds of changes are needed? If if, if you're going to change something, what would you change? Phil, well, start so with you. We're very focused on trying to bring uh, change about that will produce graduates who are more prepared to. Uh, lead innovation and to produce innovative outcomes in their work. Uh, society at large is expecting that of, of higher education, is expecting it of graduates and actually expecting it of the institutions themselves as providers of innovation and scientific creativity and, and discovery. So we're trying to identify um, processes that will really remove the obstacles that enable sort of the, the ongoing complacency and sort of lip service that you often see. And, and those really need to happen at the grassroots, both in terms of the um, faculty who in most institutions actually do have most of the power in the institution uh, and at the level of the institutional leadership who, um, if they're motivated uh, and they've got an aligned group of faculty around them can really move the direction of the educational experience to encompass more exposure to uh, problem solving, to engagement in, in the real world, to uh, lifting the sights of students while they're still in their educational experience to think of themselves as, as problem solvers and to demonstrate to themselves that they're capable of doing it. Victoria, same question. What, what needs to be changed? Sure. I'm actually going to take a slightly different spin on this and think not so much about the learners, but those people that are trying to catalyze change on campuses. Yep. Um, I think something that we've learned um, from working with faculty over the years is just how hard it is to make change happen on campus. And I know Phil referenced this earlier. Yep. Um, and so um, what we've been doing most recently with our um, Pathways program is really working with teams of faculty. So a faculty member is no longer isolated on a campus um, and also working with the teams of faculty in the context of a community. So essentially a community of change makers that are all trying to make this happen. Um, and, and really our focus has been on um, a collective impact framework. So with VentureWell really as, as the backbone organization that's enabling this to happen. So bringing together a community of people that are all really focused on integrating innovation and entrepreneurship on their campuses. Um, we've, seen, we've seen a tremendous um, amount of success with this. Um, it's, it gives faculty a sense of belonging, a sense of identity, um, a sense that they're no longer alone. Not only that, it also provides them with um, some you know, a fantastic community um, that can share their own best practices, their own war stories, their own successes. Yeah, and it's surprisingly powerful um, when the, these communities um, form, and um, and it's also surprisingly difficult to uh, cultivate them too. And I think this goes back to what you were saying before, Victoria, that the usual you said it in the context of a conference, but I think the the larger point. Um, is there too that the culture of universities is largely individualistic and largely based on status 
if we just right. cut through the BS, it's about status. And it really isn't about serving undergraduates or secondary. The research is secondary. Sort of going up or down in the status totem pole is sort of the thing that 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 really that really counts. This is my assessment, and I'm happy to have people disagree with me vigorously if you do. But but then to then go to an organization that is truly collaborative where people care about each other and listen to each other from one where it's Am I going up or down in the status hierarchy is really a huge change. Uh, comment? Uh, we'll start with uh, you, Victoria, and then go to Phil. Sure. You know, I think that's something you have to be really conscious of when you're bringing um, different faculty, um, different administrators together in the context of a community. Um, and you have to be really intentional in the way you set up those um, those first convenings, bringing faculty together and um, letting them know that, you know, these are the expectations, that you are coming together with a shared yeah. goal. Um, and that collectively you can help each other, and, and it can't be individualistic. If it's individualistic, then there's absolutely no point being part of the community. Um, and, and you don't have to tell it, you just show it. And, and I've been really heartened, actually, um, throughout the, the time um, you know, that Pathways has been in existence for the last three years. Um, the feedback that we do get is that they do feel there's a sense of trust. Um, and, and I think it's, it really is about how you set up those initial meetings and then also how you, um, other institutions are invited into the network. That, has to, that trust has to be ongoing. Yeah, and Phil, yeah, I gave my I view of the... I gave my view on the most difficult obstacle of, of, of getting this kind of thing into place, but what's your, what's your take? What's, what, are the, what are the most difficult obstacles to getting this kind of thing in, in, in place from your perspective? Well, one of the biggest challenges is is sort of the ongoing day to day work that everybody's got in their uh, in their way. Sure. You know, the, yeah. the uh, even a motivated team. Um, this is not the only thing they're doing. So we're able to accommodate that by um, trying to provide some structure and and uh, you know I think as, as Victoria pointed out, the common shared sense of purpose very clearly articulated and uh, for each team developed as a strategy that's shared with their community creates a sense of accountability that helps to sort of ride through the fact that you, uh, you know, you need to get other things done while you're in the process of completely transforming the world that you're working in. Uh, it really is, you know, flying the airplane while you're replacing the wings. And, and uh, so we're, we're sensitive to supporting that. I think the other element of this, which is really critical, is that going from this sort of founding group of, of zealots who want to engage in the initial process of starting to, to move the boulder and creating a long-term view and strategy and set of goals is to engage a broader group of people. And that's really kind of the next horizon that you need to go to, is to engage the next group of people who aren't even aware of what's being done and are not the uh, are not possessed of, of the set of skills required, for example, to bring an experiential approach into teaching or uh, to challenge students with with opportunities to pursue innovation. That requires a different set of outreach and a new set of skills and we need to actually develop that within the communities 
of leaders that we're creating on each campus. So that's sort of the next horizon line and involves much the same kind of practices, but it's sort of a, a meta process of, of not only transferring and expanding the group of people who have a shared vision, but also creating processes to onboard them and get them uh, possessed of the appropriate skills and, and uh, mindset to actually move things forward. We've got about a minute left uh, before our next break, but uh, just I'm going to ask this, and we'll probably continue into the next segment. But in in complex adaptive systems, there's a concept known as leverage points that 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 oftentimes in a complex system, there are places where a small amount of effort can get you a big change in outcome. And so I'm curious, and and we'll start with uh, Victoria. What are what are some of the the leverage points of working with um, with uh, fac- faculty and and getting bringing it to bring about change. Um, I think I think the answer is it varies from campus to campus, and um, that's why we've really taken a very context-specific approach with all of the institutions that we work with. And we don't use quite that same terminology, um, the leverage points, but but the same kind of principles. Um, that when they are starting to flesh out what their what their goals are and what their strategic plans are, we have them really look at, okay, where are those insertion points within your ecosystem um, that can have the biggest impact for you for the for the smallest amount of input. And so that's really how they begin to drive their initiatives forward. Um, we also really invite them to think across um, across the entire ecosystem. So don't just be really limited in your thinking and just think about just the curriculum. You've got to think about how the leadership impacts this, how policies and culture on your campus impact this, how um, you know students can impact this, or, or how... Um, working with your um, off-campus community can, can have an impact. So thinking broadly, but then also really narrowing down to those, those elements that can, that can have the biggest bang for their buck. Um, Phil, we've got about 30 seconds. Would you like to add to that? Yeah, I, so to, to give you some examples of some of the, the key leverage points um, that we've seen are, you know, the, the urgency, for example, of the transformation of the um, first-year experience is a great opportunity to leverage for further change downstream in the educational experience. Looking at um, policies around, for example, how uh, student intellectual property is, is valued and how that's transmitted to students. And finally, the, you know, the, the big hairy one, uh, faculty reward systems. And in fact, we've had some progress in, in some cases and where it's appropriate to take that on. It can, it can even be a lever. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's take a break and we'll come back and, and we'll, um, we'll follow up on this and, and also take a look at where things are, are headed with uh, VentureWell over the next few years. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guests, Phil Weilerstein and Vic, Victoria Matthew. And, and uh, in the next segment, we're going to talk about uh, VentureWell's future and where it's headed. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. 
Contact him at deg at threejoy.com or browse the Three Joy website, www.threejoy.com today. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon. Advertise on this show and reach some of the most committed reformers and transformers in education today and and support the movement to transform education itself. Write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to reach your audience today. So uh, we're back with Phil Weilerstein and Victoria Matthew from uh, VentureWell. And we were were talking about some of the uh, programs to build community among faculty and help uh, uh, faculty make change on on campus, especially with respect to innovation and, and um, entrepreneurship. And we were, we were talking, I want to follow up on this uh, issue of um, leverage points. I, I think one of the, uh, I don't know that you disagree. I think, I, I agree with you, Victoria, that, you know, that uh, all change is sort of culture specific. I think, but I think one of the key levers of change is to recognize that we are dealing with a cultural problem, uh, that we are tr- changing culture, and to understand what culture is about, and also to understand that it's we tend to view all of these things in academic life as as mainly rational, and almost all the language that we've been using over the past two segments was emotional language, language like engagement or language like trust, and we don't talk about that. We're afraid to talk about it. I think one of the leverage points, the, the two the two big leverage points, is being intentional around um, uh, culture and emotion uh, directly. Um, Agree, disagree, push back. Uh, what What are your thoughts, Victoria? I completely agree. You know, and I'm actually I'm I'm smiling because I'm um, you know just thinking about how heated some conversations can become become on campus. Um, I know that many of the faculty what we work with a lot of a lot of their um, effort really goes into trying to convince other faculty that the fight is worth the fight, that the work that they're doing is really important, and oftentimes it it just comes down to um, a misunderstanding around around language and how emotionally charged certain words can be. And entrepreneurship, to be honest, is, is one of those words. Um, it's it's often misunderstood. You know, depending on which 
discipline you're from. So I think, um, you know, really thinking about how, how you have those conversations. So the conversations aren't necessarily emotionally charged and so that everybody really does understand what they mean when they say entrepreneurship. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And the culture is definitely, it's, it's something to be mindful of, something that we're working on right now with our, um, specifically with um, Pathway Schools that have received grants from us is really focusing on institutionalization of whatever change they're making happen. And a big part of that is really thinking about the culture. Um, I think, uh, you know, in the past, um, we've definitely seen a lot of change um, happening on campus around um, you know, uh, let's say you've got an educational innovation that you want everybody to adopt. And the thinking is, well, it's, it's great, therefore everybody should adopt it. But it's really not that simple because there are emotions and there are policies. And, and so really you've got to think through all of that before you can even expect whatever it is that you're developing to be adopted. Well, and I, I like the point that you're making about the conversations and the passion and the importance of language. It is, after all, really the... Um, if you we think constitutively about culture, culture is a, is a lot of culture is the story we're telling about ourselves. And part of what we're changing is we're trying to change the story of the organization that we're in. And that's controversial because the culture is the culture. That's the way we do things here. And when you change that, that's not the way we do things here. And so, it, as you say, it can be. And so language is a key part. Story is a big part. Phil, I want to get your take on this. And it's yeah, okay to you know, disagree. It, it really comes down to... Um, having a uh, approach that gets the engagement of, of all the stakeholders involved. And, and one of the things which I see as real progress in the field, but it's also a little disturbing, is if you, you look out there at how many institutions are touting themselves as providing an educational experience that builds innovation and entrepreneurship, it's very, very widespread. Um, you know, I, I, I've noticed this on the top-level sure. promotional information at an institutional level within the colleges, within schools. So there, there's a real inconsistency in the way that the administration wants to promote the educational experience and the uh, actual experience that students are yeah. having. So Chris, Is it authentic? Some, yeah. Is it authentic? have a, a conversation about how that can be yeah. brought into alignment. And in order to do that, you need to bring in the voices of students, the voices of their parents, uh, importantly, the, the viewpoints of companies that will hire the graduates who, you know, as, as um, Victoria pointed out, are sometimes sensitive to words like entrepreneurship. But, uh, you know, innovation seems to be, be a popular word with everyone. So it's, it's a good way to, to begin the conversation about it and then start to break that down and understand what we mean by that. What are the, what are the differences in the way that people think, the way they approach problems, the way they act when they engage with things? So we see a lot what we're doing as being very much um, in keeping with the direction that society is going. And I think one of the things that I see that's, that's really um, a sign that things are likely to shift and that we may be approaching a point where there, there's going to actually be a great acceleration of change is the fact that everybody is now talking about innovation in similar terms, thinking not only about the uh, economic impacts and thinking about it as a way of creating jobs, but also as a way for people to find fulfillment in their work, as a way for 
the potential of individuals to be realized through their professional activities. And I think getting that articulated in ways that actually uh, are measurable within the educational experience is what's going to make that change. So that's that's become one of the things that we've been focusing on, and, and that's very much in in keeping with and in response to the community of people we're working with. They are working hard to not only do things, but also to figure out how to uh, measure the impact of those changes that they've made. And uh, that, that I think, is a sign of, of uh, a tipping point in the offing. Yeah, this measurement piece is, is an interesting one. I, 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 and I, a lot of times these converse, so I, and, and I agree with the point that you're making, Phil, that, um, that a lot of entrepreneurship is, is inauthentic and it, it's high on the list of buzzwords in innovation and entrepreneurship are on the buzzword list, but it's, I, I call it blah, blah entrepreneurship. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of talk and a lot of action behind it. And there's certainly not a culture of entrepreneurship within the organizations that, that, um, use blah blah entrepreneurship a lot. It just seems to me that there's that it's it's fairly inauthentic. It's the things that they should say. The marketing people say that that's what people want, uh, but it's not necessarily the kind of thing that uh, the kinds of experiences that you're trying to provide um, uh, pro- provide to uh, to the young people. I, I guess I'm um, sometimes. Uh, it's a little disheartening, and we we started off this way, Phil, in the conversation that 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 that's change in universities is it's a it's tough and and it it needs to be tough because we're talking about changing a culture that's been around since uh, you know the the um, the eleventh century or so and and as is is been reinforced to be the way it is uh, through the recent experience of say World War Two and the last the last century, but economic and Economic and technological forces are bringing about the kinds of things. These are real things. So, how, um, what are and and and, and what are the things that are going to really? I, I get disheartened, and then sometimes it seems like there are glimmers of light. What are the things that are going to bring about um, a, bring about real change? Phil, uh, you briefly, and then uh, we'll hear from Victoria too. So, there, there are some things that will enable. Um, change to happen. I think one of them is, is um, measuring the impacts of having made the change. So in other words, demonstrating how you can, in fact, create educational processes that uh, produce people who are, are able to be more adaptive learners, to be effective in problem solving, and, and to demonstrate that in high-impact ways in the real world. I think we see that, and, and for folks who teach, I think you, you see that uh, in, in anecdotal ways, um, and I, I think having some uh, validated tools to enable that to be done on a broad scale is going to be a key um, piece of making that change happen. I, I, I think the other. I guess I'd like I'd like to push back on that a bit. Uh, it seems to me that, in my experience, that that the change accelerates when people feel the change, and and the kinds of changes that we're talking about, and you've been talking about this as well. And I, your your organization brings about these real changes. It's like a nuclear bomb going off when you, when you when you uh, engage faculty and engage students in this way. It's like there's there's no need for a t test. It just the things explode and people do really incredible things, and so there's a sense in which all the hand wringing about assessment seems to me to be a little beside the point. Well, I, I, I don't disagree I think, that we, uh, we need to we need to have rational tools, you, but 
It's a second. Yeah. It's a second step or a third step, not not the first step. Yeah, and I, I guess what I would say, I, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think you you feel it when it's happening. On the other hand, in order to get the money behind it, and in order to actually change the, um, you know, formal systems, for example, reward systems, uh, accreditation systems, there there is a need for demonstrable and and statistically uh, valid demonstrations of, of uh, something happening. And, and I think that that's really the, the level of proof yeah. that folks are often challenged to provide. Um, and I don't think there's, it's, it's not sort of an endless process. I think it's a matter of demonstrating in the context of the things that are being done. And once that's published and out there, uh, it's going to be referenced and will help to drive that change. You know, I think the, the other um, aspect of this, and one of the things we try and engage the institutions with, is to think of this as a community process. Yes. You know, you, you need to engage the students. Uh, alumni are, you know, probably one of the biggest drivers of this change, in in the very least, in the way that they are directing their, their philanthropic um, give back to the institution towards innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, you hear about every week there's another large gift being given specifically for creation of a program or a center or something around innovation and entrepreneurship. And I, I think that uh, rather than, you know, just taking the money and setting up something that has that name, a lot of institutions really are trying to use that as an opportunity to create deep change. Just got a couple of minutes left. Victoria, I want to give you a chance to respond. What's um, what's really going to uh, drive change? And, and if you want to take a shot at what I said, uh, that's fine too. So what, what's what's really going to what's sure. going to make change happen? Yeah, you know, I would love to piggyback what you and Phil were just talking about around assessment. And I hear what you're saying, Dave. Um, however, you know, I see that things are really shifting on campuses, and I think a great example is around um, makerspaces. And in fact, there was um, an article in the New York Times this weekend um, talking about spaces. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm thrilled with all of the changes that are happening, um, you know, getting students to be, you know, really more engaged in their yeah. learning, um, you know. However, um, I think if we're not mindful of measuring outcomes, um, we can... You know, the, the spaces that we put together, they'll, they'll be great and they'll be, you know, result in incremental change, but they're not going to result in the kind of change that we could see if we were really thoughtful about our objectives and really measuring our objectives. So I think assessment is really important, not just to make a massive change, but to see the kind of change that we want to see. So we've just got a, a few seconds left. Uh, uh, Phil, where can people find out more about VentureWell and uh, learn more about your important work? Visit our website, VentureWell.org. That's all one word, VentureWell.org. And there's information there about the open conference, the grant opportunities for students under the eTeams program, and grants and programming for faculty. And uh, this fall we're going to be rolling out a new opportunity in the pathways arena. So encourage you to sign up for our newsletter if you want to hear more about that or to contact us directly through the webpage. Great. Well, really appreciate having you both on, on the, the show and uh, best of luck to, to you both as you, as you do what I think is very important work um, for change in higher ed. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave.
You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education with Dave Goldberg. Special thanks to our guests, Phil Weilerstein and Victor, Victoria Matthew of VentureWell. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, as we continue our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.